Anthony, Zach, Justin, Brian, Matt. Thank y'all so very much. If you're a student, uh, you look horrifying and you're dismissed. Okay, very scary. Even Einstein, he looked. <laughs> um, welcome. I'm glad y'all are here today. I greet you in the name of my Savior. Um, let me just, uh, one announcement that we didn't uh, uh, mention. Thursday night is Halloween. And Don and Kathy Johnson, who live right near Park and Estate. That's as close as I can get to you. Anyway, there'll be an address in our, on our website. Uh, every year they have a big Halloween party. And they have a hayride and chili and I think corn dogs. Is that right, Kim? All kind of yummy food. And they've got a very trick-or-treat friendly neighborhood where the, uh, the, most of the neighbors give out 10s and 20s. They don't even do candy. They give out, so, so we're real excited. about that. Just a joke. Just a joke. Don't get nervous. Uh, 5.30 or whenever, just come. Uh, and bring your kids, and if you don't have kids, come anyway. It'll be a very fun uh, evening uh, this Thursday night at Don and Kathy's house. And then next, uh, Tommy did mention this, but next Sunday we're going to have church. Uh, uh, Kim and Jerry have not had anything at their house in months. And so um, uh, we're going to gather at Kim and Jerry's house uh, this, Sunday uh, this coming Sunday morning at 1015, and we're going to have a special service there. And uh, there's going to be lots of good food then. Uh, those of you that are guests, we really are big into eating. And so that's a, that's a big deal. And uh, one of our precious, um, newest uh, followers of Jesus is going to be baptized that day. And so we're excited about that. So you, you come and be a part of that if you can this coming Sunday. And if, if any of you are here today and you've been going, you know what? I know that I need to follow the Lord and believers baptism. I just have never done it. Call me or text me and let me know. And I'd love to talk with you about that. Um, to do something that the Lord Jesus did. Number one. And to do something that followers of the Lord Jesus have been doing for 2,000 years. That's a big deal. And Christians... Uh, around the world have been uh, following the Lord in baptism just as a way of testifying uh, I believe in Jesus and I want to follow him and so if that's the desire and the, the uh, well I'll just say the desire of your heart you come and be a, a part of that and we'd love to, for you to be baptized as well um, Christopher thank you that was great that was great great dead gummit great mm. um, I want to talk to y'all today uh, about something um, that I hope the Lord will speak to us about. I've been doing a lot of pondering about the uh, up-and-coming election in about 12 months, give or take a week, and um, just that we have a whole year <laughs> uh, to uh, hear about it and to think about it and to uh, for many of us to have discussions about it, and uh, I've just I've just been pondering how I am supposed to respond to all of this. How am I supposed to think? How am I supposed to 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 react to all this madness? Um, if you listen to the the politicians and those that are experts on the politicians. 
or at least they think they are. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how you avoid being impacted with the, with the anger and the attacks and the hypocrisy, the hate, the slander, the slurs, the fear, the lies, the deceit, the division, the hostility. And I don't think any of those words are um, bombastic or, or uh, overdone. I think that, that we're in a very sad time where for the next 12 months we're going to be exposed to a lot of incredibly negative, uh, mean-spirited uh, communication and conversation about... Uh, this coming election, election in about a year. And I just, again, I just have been wondering how am I as a Christian supposed to respond to all that? Um, I heard a, a, a message, a talk, if you will, by Tim Keller a few months ago. Uh, he was down at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary speaking at, a, at an event they had and... and um, he said something that I'd never, in all my studies, I'd never heard before. Um, he said that the New Testament church, the first, give or take, 80, 100 years of the New Testament church, when you read the writings of Greek and Roman and Jewish historians who were writing about the early Christians. This is not their fans. This is not their. Uh, uh, this, these are not people that were. That were positive. And in favor of the early church. They just were making observations. About the early church. And one of the observations. That these secular. Non-Christian historians. Made about the early church. Was that. In the Roman Empire, the early church had, the had a reputation regarding five social values. They had, they had a reputation about other things too. But they had a reputation in the Roman Empire among secular people, non-believers. They had a reputation for five social or moral values. Let me share them with you. This is according to Tim Keller. They were known for their view on traditional marriage, the sanctity of life, they had a passionate commitment to the poor, they had an appreciation and a respect for racial diversity, and they were known for their civility. They were known for their civility. Now, I did a little research on that and what Tim Keller defined as civility according to their reputation among Christians in the Roman Empire. It was an attitude, they were known for their attitude of kindness, graciousness, a willingness to go the second mile and turn the other cheek. They were known for their love of enemies and their absolute commitment to no retaliation, no revenge, and they would not rejoice over the fall or 
failure of their enemies. You think about that. The, the people that were not believers, that did not, they, they were not for the church. They did not, uh, they were not trying to help the church. But when you asked the average secular person in the Roman Empire, what do you think about Christians? What they would mention is their commitment to traditional marriage, the sanctity of life, their commitment to the poor, their appreciation and respect for racial diversity, and their attitude of civility. They were kind. They were gracious. They wanted and were willing to turn the other cheek and go the second mile. Their desire to love their enemies and their commitment to no retaliation, no revenge, and they would not rejoice over the failure or fall of their enemies. I wonder if that's the reputation of the New Testament church in America. If you asked your neighbors and co-workers and maybe even your family members that aren't Christians, they're not pro-Christianity. Hey, what, what do you think the church in America is known for? What's, what is thousand? If you asked a thousand 10,000, 10 million people in America that do not claim to follow or know or love Christ. What would you say in, is included in the reputation of the church in America? Do you think one person, do you think you could find one in, Poll 10 million. You think one of them would say that civility is part of the reputation of the American church. I wonder uh, if anyone would describe the church. I'm talking about the, the big church. Not just Christ community. Although I think that's a worthy question for us as well would we be known for our civility as I ponder the up and coming election in the year I've also been wondering as a believer and as somebody that has very strong political views what am I supposed to do with the I'm not exaggerating. I'm not overstating this. The 50 verses in the Bible. that would, Old Testament and New Testament. That would all declare in relatively clear language. That God raises up politicians, leaders, kings, presidents, prime ministers. And God sets them down. That people that run countries, lead nations, that God is the one that raises them up and sets them down and that He controls their lives 
and their decisions. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say there's 50 verses. Maybe more. I can give you 50. That says God raises them up. When He's done with them, He sets them down. And He controls their decisions. In fact, the Bible would go so far, and this is where I struggle um, when I listen to people. Oh yeah, I believe that. Donna, I believe that. I believe that God is in charge of the politicians. I believe that. But when I listen to those folks a little while, what I hear is this attitude that he's sort of like, what do you call the dude, the uh, secretary general. The, sort of like the secretary general of the United Nations. He's working with the presidents and prime ministers and kings and dictators. He's sort of the dude that's trying to get everybody organized and going in the right direction. When, if you read the Bible, that is not at all what God's doing. God is not working with presidents. He's not working with President Trump. That is not what the Bible is. He is not working with the dude that runs Israel or the dude that runs England or the lady, whatever, whoever there, doesn't make any difference. Um, uh, these people that are running these nations, God's not working with them. What the Bible declares is that they live and decide and operate and lead according to God's pleasure. God's purposes and God's plans. He's not working with them. He is telling them what to do. I asked you, and it was a great tactical error in Larry um, Crawford. I'm not sure that his spirit was Christian when he did it. Could be, but I'm not sure it was. I think there was a little uh, mean-spirited glee Remember that thing about early church didn't rejoice when others failed? You remember that? Uh, anyway, he responded to me. I asked y'all to read Joshua chapter 5. And he said, you know, I'm not sure a pastor ought to encourage their church family to read a passage of scripture that starts off with everybody needs to be circumcised. And I said, well, you know, i got to admit, that might not be the wisest deal that I've, I've done lately. That was, a, that was a little tactical error on my part. But that wasn't, the, that wasn't the part of the passage that I was really focusing on. The part of the verses on is actually one of the most important verses in the Bible to me. And I don't know whether you picked up on it or not, but I'm going to read it to you in Joshua chapter 5. Bible says that Joshua saw a man standing before him with a sword in his hand. And he demanded, Hey, are you friend or foe? The man responded, Neither. I'm not your friend. I'm not your foe. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And when Joshua heard that, he responded, by falling to the ground in reverence, saying, I am at your command. That isn't a, Buddy, you, you ought to ponder that a little bit. That's a deal. In the light of the fact that God, for 40 years, 
had done nothing but focus on the people of Israel. Trying to convince them, you are special. I am your friend. I love you in a unique way. I'm committed to you in a, in a way that is totally unique. I love you. I'm your God. Don't worship other gods. We have this special relationship. And then all of a sudden, Joshua, forgive my wording, sort of bumps in to God himself. And as a soldier who's about to invade the promised land, uh, you meet somebody you don't know, it is reasonable that you would ask the question, are you on my side or are you not? But in that moment, God responds to Joshua with words that I believe are incredibly significant. Joshua, if you ask the wrong question, you'll always get the wrong answer. The wrong question is, am I on your side? The right question is, are you on my side? No, no, no. Don't ask, God, are you on my side? That's like asking, you got to, which is, which creates more light? A sparkler or a birthday candle? When it's five feet from the sun. Doesn't matter. What makes a bigger splash? A grain of sand or a grain of sugar when you drop them in the Pacific Ocean? It doesn't matter. God has an agenda for how this world is going. And He raises people up and He sets people down and He uses people to accomplish His pleasure his purposes, His plans. And the question that we need to be asking is not, is God a Republican or a Democrat? Is He red or blue? Is He for this or against it? That is the wrong question. The right question is, do I recognize who I am praying to? Who I'm reading about? Who I am seeking to follow and understand and become like. It's an incredible question. Jeremiah 49 says, I will appoint. Who can challenge my choice? For who is like me? Who can challenge me? What ruler can oppose my will? And then Paul says in Romans 13, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. I wonder if my unsaved neighbors and family members and friends would say, you know, when I think of Larry Ray, one of the things that pops into my mind is his civility. I wonder if my unsaved friends and neighbors and relatives, when they think of me, would they think about a person who is resting and operating and living 
in the security that this world is being run by a sovereign, all-wise, all-powerful, all-controlling God. Therefore, I can wake up every morning and go, this is going to be a good day. Win, lose, or draw. Bankruptcy or winning the lottery. Health and wealth or the opposite. It's going to be a good day because the God I believe in is in absolute control. Or would my friends and family and neighbors say, Larry acts more like the world uh, doesn't really have anybody at the steering wheel. It's just recklessly going down the interstate 100 miles an hour, crashing into stuff because nobody's at the wheel. That's the way Larry acts. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? With the people that love me and know me, but are not believers in Jesus. Would I communicate by the way I speak and act that God is in control, that He raises up and He sets down and He uses at His pleasure? Or would they say, dude, you act like nobody's driving the car. I wonder. I've also been wondering God's up to regarding this election that's coming up I wonder how God sees this election process that we're beginning I wonder what God's doing in our nation and in the world I wonder if God and this happens don't, don't doubt me. And if you want to talk about it, call me or text me and we'll chat. The Bible says that God can politically abandon people. He can say, okay. You think you can do it better? Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy the fruit of your wisdom. Enjoy the fruit of your choices. So my question is, I wonder if, if God... Or I wonder politically abandoned us. Or I wonder if God is wringing his hands in frustration and, and fretting because he can't find anybody that will cooperate with him. Or I wonder if God is very concerned and cares very much and is very involved. In what is taking place in our nation. And specifically in our capital. I just wonder. Makes me wonder. If God might be up to some things. That are far beyond. Some specific political agenda. I wonder if God could be up to some things. That is far beyond what we are privy to, what we're aware of. Something more than just the outcome of the election that's going to take place in about a year. Last week, we looked at the, uh, 
if you can believe it. Uh, we looked at the book of Job, and um, I mentioned two things in particular that the book of Job emphasizes. One is that every person is important. Every person matters. Every person has wealth. Every person has the potential for immeasurable impact. The book of Job teaches that. And I also mentioned that the book of Job teaches us that God is involved in and focused on things in the heavenly realms that we know nothing about. We're down here paying light bills and getting our oil changed and trying to raise kids and keep our marriage from falling apart and uh, taking cancer treatments and taking care of our sick mamas uh, and daddies. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're down here and, and we want God to be our friend. Are you my friend or are you my foe? I want you to be involved in what I'm doing, what I'm struggling with. Are you my friend or are you my foe? And yet the book of Job teaches that God was involved in things and focused on things in a debate with Satan in front of the host of heaven that Job knew nothing about. Job wanted God to be involved in... Job wanted God to be his friend and to help him out of some difficult situations. And I'm not saying that God didn't care. I'm not saying God wasn't involved. I'm not saying that. I am saying that God's primary focus was on something that was taking place in heaven that Job knew nothing about. And God, because he loved Job, wanted Job to be involved in what God was doing. Not just him getting involved in what Job wanted. God wanted Job's life to be a tool that declared to the universe that God is trustworthy and God is faithful with blessings or without blessings. That's what God was inviting Job to be a part of. Job, would you like to be the one that stands in front of the universe and says, if God blesses me, he is good and great and worthy of trust and devotion and, and love. But even if he doesn't bless me, He's still worthy of trust and devotion and love. My question is, what I've been wondering, could God be wanting to use this election not to accomplish some specific political agenda, red or blue, could God be wanting to use this election for things that are so much bigger? Things that 
won't just matter for the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years, but could matter a thousand years from now. Could he be focused on things in this election season that would matter for a thousand years? And ultimately, could God be involved in this election and inviting his children to be involved in this election so that his, his real nature, his heart, is revealed to the people of America, and, more, and no offense, but more importantly, revealed to the world. Because you know, if, uh, some of you might not know this, but the world doesn't think real fondly of us. Talk to people from other countries. I'm not saying everybody, and I'm not saying that everybody hates us. That's not. But our reputation in the world as Americans isn't real great. And you might say, well, they're all wrong about us. I'm sure they are. Uh, maybe we could share some of that blame and some of that wrong too. Could our election be a tool that God wants to use to reveal that He is a God full of grace and love and kindness and compassion through our words, our reactions, our responses to people that we would passionately disagree with? Wow, I know you disagree with me from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet in every issue that is related to this election. But you still make me feel like you love me and you're for me and you would help me and do anything for me. Wow, how can you disagree with me that strongly and yet relate to me as if I matter, and I'm important, and I'm safe, and I'm loved in mercy. Exodus 34 says that God is abundant in mercy, grace. He's slow to anger and full of steadfast love and faithfulness. wonder if my neighbors, my friends, my family would say, you know what, Larry? If that's the way God is, He's full of mercy and grace. He's slow to anger and full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Because when I watch you, Larry, that's what stands out. You must be a follower of that. If that's what God is like, that's what I see in your life. I am very uncertain and unsure of how I'm supposed to respond to the issues and the policies and the, the well, I'll just say the issues regarding this election.
I'm very confused. I'm very uncertain. I mean that sincerely. I'm not, I'm not just saying that. I'm very unclear on what I'm supposed to believe about the majority of the issues related to this election. What I'm not too uncertain about is the attitude that I'm supposed to have. The, the countenance that I'm supposed to have. The way I relate to people and the way I talk with people about the election. That's not so confusing. That's not so unclear. I come personally from a family of angry people. If you came from Finley, Tennessee, you were just, I think you were just angry because you came from Finley, Tennessee. I think that, that might have been part of it. We were, we were just angry people. Mad because we were poor. Mad we're always, but, but I just come from a... Mad people, other people had stuff that we didn't have. I don't know. I don't know why we were always... But, but I just come from a very angry family. Um, it's taken my wife 38 years. And she would say we still have a very, very... It'll take another 38. But she's made some headway in convincing me that anger is absolutely ineffective in swaying people. Anger, arrogance, condescension, pride, and harshness. Man, those are my go-tos. That's like the, that's the tools when you open my toolbox. That's on the top shelf. Every one of those. And for 38 years, my wife's tried to convince me, Larry, when you get angry, when you get harsh, when you get arrogant, when you get prideful, when you get condescending, you never attract. You never woo. You never draw. You never win over. You never convince. You never persuade. Angry, arrogant, condescending people never win. It's, well, whoa, 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 I'm so sorry. Whoa, wait, but that's not right. They never change people's lives for good. Hitler won, so okay, we, we, you, yeah. But, but you, you see my point. If I'm wanting to, 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 to persuade you, to convince you, I'm wanting to, to, to move you from where you are to another place of belief. Being angry is not going to do it. And that is very hard for me. I might bully you into conforming. I mean, I, I, I've told you this before. My dad would agree if he was here. You know, he's in heaven. And, but I know he would, he would agree. Uh, my dad's anger could get me to conform as long as he was standing right there. But buddy, the minute he got in the car and drove off, or I got in the car and drove off, his anger lost all power. 
Anger never, ever persuades. Harshness, pride, condescension. It never persuades. It never convinces. James chapter 1 says, The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man never achieves the righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says that knowledge makes us arrogant, but love makes us helpful. Proverbs 16 says that pride goes before destruction, and haughtiness goes before a fall. Do you know, I never, it, until this week when I was pondering this and working on this, do you know that doesn't just mean or apply to individuals? It also applies to relationships. Pride and arrogance and harshness, they don't just make people fall. They make relationships fall. They don't just destroy people. They destroy relationships. Proverbs 15 says, Soft words turn away anger, but harsh words stir up anger. Gentleness minimizes anger, but harshness maximizes it. Wisdom makes knowledge appealing, but, love this, but fools belch out foolishness. What an incredible word. Fools, when a fool is ranting and raving. You're wrong and I'm right, stupid idiot. It is literally like somebody belched. Belching out foolishness. Goes on to say that a hot-tempered person starts fights, but a person with a calm spirit stops them. Is that right? Well, let's ask the prodigal son. Who really impacted your life? Your dad or your angry brother? I don't remember the prodigal son saying, You know what? I want to go home. I have ruined my life. I'm wrong. I've screwed everything up. I want to go home so I can be with my angry, mean-spirited, condescending, judgmental brother. Is that where that passage goes? Oh. oh, oh, the adulterous lady, the lady caught in adultery. I think after her experience in the temple with the Pharisees, didn't she, didn't she, wasn't she the one that started the women's movement for women to become Pharisees? Oh, I want to be a Pharisee like y'all. Y'all's, y'all's arrogance and condescension and harshness and meanness and judgmental angry spirit. It's, I want to be a Pharisee. Is that what that lady did? No. No. First Peter says, be careful to live your life with honor and dignity among your unchristian friends. So if they accuse you of evil, they will see your honorable and dignified behavior and give honor to God when He judges the world. For for Christ's sake, 
submit to all human authority. Whether it's the king or his officials. For the king has been sent to punish bad doers and honor good doers. Did you notice the connection that Peter makes? Live a life that is honorable and dignified. Dignified people. They don't rant and rave and cuss and holler and accuse and attack and bully and speak with bitterness. Dignified, dignified people don't do that. Honorable people don't do that. And Peter says, live a life of honor. Live a life of, of dignity because of the impact it's going to have on your Christian friends. And then he immediately connects it with our political views. Submit to all human authority, whether it's the king or his officials. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we should live our, I'm sorry, our lives are to be a Christ-like fragrance that rises up as an offering to God. My question is, do I smell the fragrance of my life. Do I smell or do I stink? I'll end with this. I found uh, three pretty smart fellows who said three different things that I think helped me get a little clarity on how my attitude ought to be toward people that would have different political views than me. You, you decide. It's been very helpful for me. One of them is Chris Stendahl. Now, Chris, you don't know who that is, but for a zillion years, Chris Stendahl was the dean and the chair of religion, uh, of the divinity school at um, Harvard. He was the he was the chair and the and the and the, the uh, he was the chairman and the dean of the School of Divinity at Harvard, and he said this: there are three rules of religious understanding. There are three people that that help us create understanding, and he's talking about with people that would be very different than us. They would have different views than us. Okay, here's what he says: when trying to grasp another religion or another philosophy of life, another political view, when trying to grasp another religion, ask its adherents, not its enemies. Am I defining the Republicans' beliefs and policies by what I hear on CNN? Am I defining what the Democratic Party would believe and value based upon what I hear on Fox News. He would say, bad plan. When trying to grasp another religion, ask its adherents, not its enemies. Number two, don't compare your best examples with their worst examples. We always find an example in the enemy camp. The worst 
apple in the barrel. See, they're all just like that. Maybe they're not. Maybe that happens to be the worst example in the barrel. Don't compare your best examples with their worst examples. And number three, leave room for holy envy. And what he means by that is, find the good that you can learn and benefit from in groups that you disagree with. Leave room for holy envy. Find the good that you can learn and benefit from in groups that you disagree with. When I do that, Chris Stendhal says, I will create understanding in my life toward groups that I disagree with strongly. Another person that I found that's a pretty smart cookie, a guy named John Wesley, started the Methodist Church. They were having a national election in England at the time. And he advised his church concerning this ensuing national election. He told his church family these three things. Vote for the person that you feel is most worthy. Speak no evil of the people who who, who, uh, voted against that person. Speak no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Vote for the person that you feel is most worthy. Do not speak evil of the people that you, vo- that you voted against. And number three, don't become embittered against those who voted differently than you did. It's wise advice. Vote for the person that you feel is most worthy. Speak no evil of the people They voted against. Don't become embittered against people who voted differently than you. And the last person, the really smart cookie that I found, was the Lord Jesus himself. He said in Matthew chapter 7, Treat others as you want others to treat you. I would dare say that many of you have passionate beliefs and convictions of uh, how things ought to be politically. Uh, Maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. I think we need to be very careful that we don't let our passion for political issues confuse people as to who ultimately we belong to. And who we're living for. Because the way I talk. And the way I react. And the way I respond. Reflects who my master is. And am I, what am I saying? What am I communicating? About the character and the person of God. By the way I talk about this election. And those that are involved in it. Okay. You think about that. Um, John, you and Rachel want to come up and help? We're going to take the Lord's Supper.
Um, the Lord Jesus wants me to invite every one of you that claim Him as your Savior to come and take bread uh, and drink wine or grape juice. The wine's purple and the grape juice is yellow. Uh, you take one or the other. The Lord Jesus, it's His Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. It's not Larry's Supper or C3's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. So if you're Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or I'm not anything. I just, I, I just believe in Jesus and I claim Him as my Savior. Good. The Lord Jesus wants me to invite you to. Okay? Uh, but um, singing of that verse, I think it's in Isaiah chapter 1. If it's not, forgive me, it's in Isaiah. Uh, if you know it, you correct me. Um, where, Isaiah, uh, where Isaiah says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Is that Isaiah 1? Is that right, Mom? I've forgotten. Anyway, it's in Isaiah. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Um, has the Lord Jesus made your sins that once were scarlet? Has he made them as white as snow? I love that. I love that image. I was covered in red paint. And somebody came along and washed all that red away and made me white as snow. That's what happens when Jesus Christ comes into our lives as our Savior, as our brother, as our friend, as our husband. He comes and takes all that sin away that has stained our lives and He replaces it with the, the white righteousness of God Himself. If you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if that's something that, you know what, I'm not sure if I've ever really <coughs> seriously given my heart to Christ and accepted His forgiveness uh, that he, He's made uh, available to me by dying on the cross for me. I, I don't know that I've ever settled that. Boy, today would be a great day. Man, what a great day. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was 18 years old. And I'd gone to church with Shirley and with her mom and dad. And I'd grown up in church. I'd always believed in God. I'd always believed in the Bible. But uh, I went to church that night I think it was a Sunday night I'd never been to church on Sunday night I don't think and I just wanted to hang out with my wife I, I mean I wanted to date her and uh, I, that man basically just said something to that effect he said have you ever accepted Jesus as your personal savior you ever asked him to come into your heart and forgive your sins and have you ever made the decision I put my trust in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for my sins to get me into God's family and to get me into heaven someday And I was so busy focusing on Shirley at the time uh, in the pew next to me that I didn't really give that much thought. But I went home that night and I was laying in the bed in the dark of my room and all of a sudden I did give it much thought. I gave it a lot of thought. And what I realized was I had never done that. I'd gone to church my whole life, believed in all that stuff, sang in the choir, been to youth group, been to Sunday school, been to VBS. You know, I'd done all the, all the stuff, all good stuff. But I could not remember a time when I said, I want Jesus to be my Savior and to forgive my sin. And uh, man, I remember those tears coming out of my eyes. I was laying on my pillow in my room. And I'll never forget, if I turned my face to the right or the left, my cheek would hit that wet pillow. 
Uh, I'll never forget that, that feeling. And uh, right there in that room, in, my, uh, in that bed in my room, I just said, Lord Jesus, I sure would like for you to be my Savior. I've done wrong, and I know I have. And uh, I want you to forgive me, and I believe that you died on the cross for me, and I want you to come into my life. And I got up that morning, the next morning, I was still cantankerous and ornery and irritable and selfish and uh, still didn't want to go to school. I st still didn't want to study. Uh, uh, you know, I, but I had a, a peace in my heart that I now belong to Christ and Christ belonged to me. And I've never gotten over that. I've never gotten over that. And uh, you don't have to have an, ex you know, my experience and your experience can be very different. I'm not trying to compare experiences. But I made a choice and I claimed Jesus as my Savior. And as a result of that, my life was different. If you go, you know what? My experience was very different, but I know what you mean and something like that happened to me too. I can remember when I gave my life to Jesus. Um, if you've done that, you are invited to come and eat bread and drink wine and give thanks for what the Lord Jesus did for you when he died on the cross for you. If you hadn't, while you're sitting there and the band's playing, all you got to do is just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. I've done wrong. And I'm sorry. Save me. To, to that effect, those words aren't magic. The idea behind them is way better than magic. <laughs> way better. Change your life forever. <clears throat> so uh, I invite you to come. Oh, here we might as well get this bread out. Yeah. And y'all take those two trays. You're already, let's see, you, you know what's going on. Uh, but we're going to eat this bread and drink this wine and we're going to remember and give thanks for what the Lord Jesus did when he came and died so that we, covered in scarlet, could be made white as snow. You come. There'll be people on my, by the windows on my right and my left ready to pray for you if you would like to have prayer.